Amen. Amen. And I greet you in the strong name of Jesus. And thank you, Mark, for uh, those good words. And thanks to all of those who participated this morning in ushering in God's presence in a special way. And we greet you uh, in the Christmas spirit. And I know that we have guests with us. There's rarely a Sunday that goes by that we don't have guests with us. And I just want to echo uh, Pastor Zach had mentioned to you about letting us know that you were here. And if you're kind enough to fill one of those Connect cards out, if you'll drop it by the uh, Welcome Center on the way out, uh, they have a nice coffee mug for you with some things inside there that I believe will be an encouragement to you. Last night we had a great time. If, you, if people look like they're a little bit tired out, uh, it's because we had our staff uh, Christmas party last evening out at the Shiloh uh, camp. And we had we included this year our local board of administration, uh, those who could come. We included all of our school, our Christian school staff, our preschool, daycare, and counseling center. All of us together with spouses and whatever. And I, I'm not sure what the final count was. Uh, a number of people had uh, conflicts, of course, with uh, family get-togethers. But I think we had well over a hundred who were in the, the place. We just had a great time. Now, I'm not going to mention any names because that would not be fair and I didn't ask permission. But there is a lady here who won the top door prize. And uh, if you want to just ask around, somebody will tell you who it is, I'm sure. I'm not going to be the one to tell you. But her husband really, I'm sure, wanted to play with it. It was a really nice drone. So everybody watch out. Uh, there could be a drone flying around the, the church family here somewhere along the line. But we had a great time. It's really fun because uh, to see all of the entities coming together of Lakeview Ministries, you know, someone said, um, life is not about what I do to make it what it is. Life is really about what we do through others that makes it what it is. And so pulling together all of the others that are a part of Lakeview Ministries was really a lot of fun uh, for us. And we just thank the Lord for his presence last night. It was just a really great time. Thank you so much for giving consideration to your year in giving. Uh, the Lord has blessed in different ways. And uh, for those of you who have been blessed in a, a special way financially, and you are giving some thought to uh, giving a special gifts above and beyond the tithe, uh, we, we certainly do appreciate you giving consideration. It's the year in giving that uh, gives us a little bit of cushion for those uh, hard days in January and February when sometimes it's hard to get out to church and with, we're gearing up for uh, paying for all those Christmas bills and then we head right into tax season and oh Lord have mercy, let's don't talk about all of that. But uh, that happens and so some of the year-end giving gives some cushion for our uh, finance office and we appreciate you giving consideration to that. I'm so excited this morning because I believe that uh, someone in here today or someone listening on by way of the internet is going to get a, a good word from the Lord. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with His word of truth, as Mark was talking about, that is such a blessing to us. And I, I, I'm just sure of it that someone is going to be blessed in a powerful way. And then others of us who know some of these things that I'm going to be talking about uh, are just going to have the, those things, uh, those truths uh, reaffirmed in our spirit today as we think about the Advent season. So uh, Advent number two, and um, 
The season, it's interesting, Advent, you may, you may wonder, why does the church do that? Why, why, does, why do churches spend time uh, going through a season called Advent and lighting the Advent candle and having certain symbolic uh, truths uh, brought to our attention? And it's almost as if uh, we, we, we set ourselves into a place where we begin to pretend in our heart and our mind that Jesus hasn't come yet. And, and we're waiting week by week, day by day, for Jesus to come. And during the first week of Advent, uh, we talked about looking for a king, because the people were in fact looking for a king, a king who would be a strong leader type, uh, and uh, someone who would be able to protect the kingdom that he oversaw, someone who would do nice things for us and provide for us. But last week, as we discovered, when Jesus got here, he, he certainly turned out to be an incredible leader, uh, probably the world's greatest leader. But not so much like a strong king that we might imagine, but more as a, a leader who's willing to suffer for our sakes when necessary. So last week, we concluded with the fact that, yes, he is a king, but he's also a suffering servant. And they're all rolled into one in a manner of speaking. Now, here's a question this morning. And we're going to dive into number two here in just a moment. But some of you weren't here last week, and so just give you a little, a little teaser there. Do you know him? This is a question for all of us to answer at some point in our lives. Do you know him, Jesus, as the one, that's a capital O, as the one who suffered so that you and I could be forgiven? Do you know him in that way? See, there are lots of ways to know Jesus. It's easy to, know, to, to, to pull a book out of the library and know Jesus as a historical figure. Uh, we can know Jesus as a great and prolific teacher uh, among many others who've come and gone. We can know Jesus as founder of one of the great world religions. We believe the greatest religion because he is the only truth. But do we know him as a sufferer? Do we know him as a servant to us, as one who was willing to have our sin, to use the word we used last week, one that we don't use often, but I've had many of you talk to me about it, to have the sin that we committed imputed, placed upon this suffering servant who had no sin, who had no responsibility for making peace with God, but who had that sin of mine placed upon his shoulders, upon his back, that he wore all the way to the cross. Do you know him, not just as a coming king, but do you know him, first of all, as a suffering servant, as a savior? So we concluded last week with this idea. Truthfully, Jesus can't be your king until he first becomes your savior. There is no King Jesus until he has first become our Savior. And to me, in a practical way, that simply means that when Jesus comes back to set up his kingdom and to be king, guess what? i got news for you. Everybody's going to want in. Everybody's going to be clamoring to get into this kingdom. It's going to be an incredible thing. But the Scripture says only those who have let him be their Savior will have the privilege to call him King. Where do we get that? Matthew 7. Listen to this. 21. Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus talking, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
King, King Jesus, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he or she who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, clamoring to get in. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name we cast out demons. And in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's sinners that are not forgiven. So translation is, people can't do enough good things in life to get into the kingdom of God. Uh, That may sound squirrely, but that's what the Bible teaches. People can't do enough good things in life to get into the kingdom of God. Many people, uh, let me just uh, apply it this way in a kind of a practical way. You can picture this. There are many people all around this globe right now who would love to come to America because America appears to them to be a place that can meet their needs, to satisfy their longings, to make their lives improved and better. People people clamoring to get into this country that we call our country. As wonderful as America is to live in, People are going to be clamoring even more to get into the kingdom of heaven, the Bible says. They're going to be desperate to get into the kingdom that Jesus is going to set up. Why? All right, let me give you a list of things about why people are clamoring, will be clamoring to get into the kingdom of of heaven. One, it will last forever. There is no kingdom like that. Never has been, never will be, except for this kingdom, the Bible says. It will last forever, eternity. Why? Because it will be inhabited only by people who love the king. Wouldn't you love to live in an America where everybody loved America? Huh? Everybody doesn't love America. It would really be fun someday to get up on a Monday morning and say, Hey, everybody 100% loves America. Glad to be here. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be great? And doesn't it bother our spirit when we see people burn the flag and do it? It doesn't mean America doesn't have problems and doesn't need to get better in many areas. But the fact of the matter is it'd be great. But in, when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, everybody that's in there is going to love the kingdom of heaven and love its leader. <laughs> it'd be a special privilege. Why else? <clears throat> because it will reunite. Oh, this is beautiful right here. It will reunite, reunite family members and dear friends of ours who also love the king, it will reunite them back together again, never to be separated from one another ever again. Ever. What a, what a great kingdom to be a part of. Why else? Well, it'll be free from disease. There will be no more sickness and pain in that kingdom. Why else? Because it will be free from grief and sorrow, because there's no more dying, there's no more death. Why else? It will be free of Satan's harassment and temptations to do wrong. Don't you get sick of that? Don't you get sick of the devil's harassment from time to time? And some days are worse than others. I had somebody tell me this morning out in the foyer, said, last week wasn't a great week. I'm glad I'm alive. I'm glad I'm well. I'm glad it could have been a lot worse, but it was a rough week. And there were some events that he told me about. And if it had happened to you that way, you'd have said, yeah, that's a bad week. Well, we, we will be totally free of all the things that Satan and his minions and his, <clears throat> excuse me, his demons 
will be working hard to give us a hard time or, or to tempt us in areas where we have had struggles and we've asked God to forgive us and we want to do better and he keeps coming back and keeps tempting us in some of these same areas. You know how many demons, have you ever thought how many demons there are? I don't know how many there are. The Bible says there's tons of them. Jesus himself said that seven demons could be in one person. We know at least seven could be in there, right? That's scripture. Seven demons in one person. All right, what is, what's, what's the population, the world population? Seven point something billion. All right, you math majors. We could ask Dave. I mean, how many, if we take seven times seven point whatever billion, that's like, I don't know, like 49 billion, 500 million, something like that. Did we get an A on that, Dave? I don't know. We'll check him after class. Okay. He's a math teacher. <clears throat> Why else? Why else will people be clamoring to get into the kingdom? Because it will expose us to some of the greatest people who have ever lived for Jesus. You know, we get to hang out with Paul and Peter and Moses and Elijah and all the greats. I'm just tremendous. Esther. What about Esther? And what about just wonderful people who have loved God and have served him well. Why else will people be clamoring to get into the kingdom? Because we'll get a new name and a new body. Anybody, anybody didn't like their name right now? Yeah, you want to admit that. Okay. Okay. We were laughing because we, one day we were in the office and we were talking about middle names and, and I won't confess Miss Kayla's middle name, but I know what it is, Nicole. But anyway, uh, I said, I said, I said, you know what my middle name is? And they said, no, we don't know. And I said, my middle name is Jack. I said, what would you rather have, Jack or Tim? They said, oh, Tim's a lot better than Jack. You know, I said, okay, thanks a lot. I don't know. But uh, we get a new name, a new name, and we get a new body. I don't know what it'll be like. You know, maybe he'll have some fun with me. And, I'll, and if he is, I'll, I'll laugh about it and it'll be fun. And some of the rest of you know what I'm talking about, you know. A new body and a new name. Oh, is it tremendous? What else will people be trying to get in there? Because we're gonna, we're gonna receive rewards for our faithfulness to Him in this life. Who wouldn't want to get into the kingdom and say, hey, we, we went to the Christmas party last night and there was like eight or ten, uh, nice, really nice gifts, uh, door prizes. It's like, who wouldn't want to come and get one of those? Okay? It was pretty cool. Uh, why else? Well, it will give us exposure. Oh, catch this. It will give us exposure to the physical presence of God. Remember Moses in the burning bush? And they said, you can't look at me. You can't look at me and live. I mean, I mean, you walked up backwards one time. Backwards to the presence of God. And his face, his whole face shone for days and days and days after that. But we will be able to be exposed to the physical presence of God. Wow, I mean, who wouldn't want to be in a kingdom like that? All of this and more, provided Jesus doesn't say to us when we stand before him one day, I never knew you. I never knew you. The enemy of God has us constantly thinking about life in the wrong direction. And that's, that's, the, that's the, the theme of our Advent um, series. Waiting in the wrong direction. People were waiting for a king. What they got last week we talked about was a suffering servant. This morning we're going to give a second one. So let me take us quickly 
uh, to this second emphasis. And let us remember this, that one of the reasons that we do wait in the wrong direction is because of the lies of the devil, the lies of the enemy, the lies of Satan. We have as many as a thousand clients from time to time that will come into the, to the, the offices of our counseling center over there. When the month is full and everything is loaded up and they've got the rosters full, sometimes as many as a thousand in one month come through. And if you think that those folks have not been told lies, lie after lie after lie about themselves, about their families, about life in general, just totally confused and, and struggling to, to, to figure life out because this enemy of God is selling lies all the time. So waiting in the wrong direction, we don't want to do that. Advent number two theme is waiting for a solution. We sang about it. Waiting for a solution, finding a scandal. What happens if, if you're waiting for a solution and all of a sudden what you get in place of that is a scandal? Let me explain to you uh, with a little illustration, then we'll read, we'll read about it. Our oldest daughter um, was, uh, she will tell you, that, so I'm not poking fun at her behind her back. They live in Minneapolis, but our oldest daughter is directionally challenged. Do you know anybody like that? She is directionally challenged. And um, there was a time when she was younger, when she was making a trip from Minneapolis back home to Waterloo, Iowa, where we were pastoring for a number of years. She was driving down I-35, and there's a certain point on going south on I-35 where you need to cut over to Waterloo, Iowa. It's sort of like going down 69, and you got to cut over to get to Marion. And so uh, she got to that uh, that point in her journey, and she made her turn. And um, typically, it would be about one hour from that point to get to Waterloo. And here we are waiting for her, and it's one hour, and no no Chrissy, and uh, an hour and a half, no Chrissy, and an hour and 45 minutes, no Chrissy. And this was before the cell phones to pick it up and say, hey, mom and dad, whatever. And so about two hours into her journey after she made the turn, she finally realized, uh, turned the music down and started thinking about, I don't see anything familiar like I should be. And so she finally stopped and asked, and uh, she had turned west instead of east and was driving two solid hours in the wrong direction. Now, we laugh about it today, but it wasn't funny that day to mom and I because we were worried about her safety, of course. Now, I don't know if you know this story. Probably 95% of us do, but I don't know if you know this story from the Bible or not, but there was a day when Jesus entered Jerusalem just prior to his trial and the execution that took place. And he comes riding into the city of Jerusalem uh, on a donkey. And the people are treating him like last week's theme, looking for a king. They were treating him like the long-awaited Messiah king. Messiah means anointed king who would be the solution, the solution. Can you say solution? One, two, three. The solution that they were looking for to all of their problems with an outfit called Rome and the Caesars. And the people were struggling. And let me put this in perspective for us this morning. I don't know if I'm messing, probably messing with you a little bit, Jeremy, with this mic. Hopefully you can hear me okay. Wouldn't it be great this morning? Think about this. 
Wouldn't it be great this morning if Jesus would just pop in down at the, the uh, Mexico, uh, Mexico, California border and, and straighten things out? Wouldn't that be something if we would catch that on the news, say, hey, Jesus popped in. He saw they were having trouble figuring out what to do down there. The nation is divided. There's all kinds of turmoil. People are hurting and aching and crying and people are clamoring to get in. And, and there's tr- troublesome people and there's all kinds of stuff. And wouldn't it be great if he'd just pop in, straighten things out? Or how about this one? Wouldn't it be great if King Jesus would drop in on the next talks that we're having with North Korea and straighten everything out between our two countries? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be great to hear? It's on the news. Whichever your favorite news deal. Hey, what, what if you turn the news on? And wouldn't it be great if on the news, say this afternoon when we get home right before the ball game starts, we get those news alerts or whatever and it pops up and it said, wouldn't it be great if the cameras would have recorded King Jesus in a meeting last week, just last week, and here's the quote, here's, we, they've got the camera rolling and you can hear Jesus, you can see him and you can hear him saying this, quote, look Donald, Nancy, Chuck, Here's how this, here's how this thing is going to play out on that wall deal. Here's how we're going to straighten this thing out. And once I lay this out for everybody, Donald, Chuck, Nancy, once I lay out the strategy, everybody's going to like it. And we're all going to be happy. Wouldn't it be fun? Wouldn't it be fun if Jesus would pop in and take care of that? It'd be wonderful. Everybody's going to be happy. So the people, Let's go back to Jerusalem and Jesus coming into the city. So the people of Jerusalem are remembering all of the stories that they were hearing about this Jesus, this coming Messiah King, and hearing the stories about how he, he first of all, he turned ordinary water into wine, not just wine, but fine wine, and how he healed the sick, including blind people, people who were blind from birth, and people who were lame and crippled from birth, and healed them. And, and how he even raised the dead. So the people rush out to meet Jesus when they hear he's coming to the city. And they have this kind of a Pollyanna understanding of who he is and what it means. So let's read it. John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. And while you're turning there, we'll put it on the screen, but I hope you've got your Bibles. It's a good thing to have your Bibles with you. But I want to just say, I'm so thankful for our staff team. Uh, For several weeks before this Christmas season, a number of our staff came together and they met and prayed and studied the Scriptures and put this Advent series together by way of the themes And so what they did was, after they prayed and put this together, after a lot of hard work, then they presented it to me and they said, Pastor, here's some thoughts and ideas about where you might take the church for this Advent season. And I just am so blessed by that, because those themes God has then taken and put put deep into my spirit, and as I've studied studied on these, the Spirit has taken it in some interesting places as it did last week. So let's read John 12, 12 to 16. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took the branch. We'd normally read this at Easter time, Palm Sunday. They took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him. 
and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So last week it was right for us to say, hey, we're looking for a king, the king of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. This is an Old Testament quote. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, that means after his death, burial, and resurrection, after that had happened, then they remembered that these things were written of him, way back in the prophecies of the Old Testament, and that they had done these things to him, to Jesus. Now, what do we pull from that? What the people thought was that Jesus was going to be the solution to all of their problems. But what they ended up with after he came into the city and experienced the next several days that happened, he ended up being something different from a solution, at least to the mind's eye. He ended up being a major disappointment. Excuse me. He ended up literally being an embarrassing failure, if you can imagine that. And more importantly, he appeared to be an imposter. How how could you believe this guy? Look what happened to him. Uh, You'd have to say he's a lying false messiah. And they've come and gone down through the centuries. Fake messiahs. Well, I'm I'm the messiah. God sent me to you. How many times has that happened over the course of human history? So once again, we see the people literally thinking about a messiah and hoping with all their hearts that he's going to be the answer to their troubles. Boy, were they wrong. Amen? Boy, were they wrong on that one. What they got instead was a scandal. What they got was an imposter, it appeared to be. What they got was a fake king. What they got was a man who they think may have lost his mind and not been a clear thinker and and, and was, was delusional. What they got was a man executed with common criminals. You talk about waiting for a solution in the wrong direction. He even promised his followers that he was going to return for them. Guess what? It's 2,000 years later. We're still waiting. Amen? We're still waiting. Have you ever wondered while waiting for Jesus' return, the Bible might be wrong? Have you ever had that cross your mind? Say, well, I don't know, 2,000 years. This might not be real. This guy, we could have been buffaloed. This could be a fake uh, bad deal here. And I bought into it and I've wasted my life believing in a pipe dream. Have you ever had that thought come to that? That's from the devil, by the way. That's the liar. If you've ever had that thought, if you ever had that thought, it didn't come from the Holy Spirit inside you. It came from the devil. Here the people greet Jesus as their king and as the solution to all their problems. And what they got was an absolute scandal. And that's what the team is asking me to talk with you about, to make that that point-counterpoint there just a bit. A Jesus king who died a criminal's death, hanging with losers, half-naked, and a sign above his head, Matthew 27, 37, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. What a phony. Look at him now. All right, now let's get, let's get real for a moment. So have you ever had a problem in your life that you thought would get resolved at some point? 
but you're still waiting? You ever had one of those things happen? You've got a real major issue going on in your life. You've asked God about it. You're looking to him for the solution, and you're still waiting. People often ask me and our staff to pray for some of the situations that I know are, are going on in your lives and the lives of people that we, we mingle with in this community. I, I'm sure you, your answer is yes. Yes, there are some issues in my life for which I'm still waiting. I need a solution. In fact, you may be dealing with a significant problem as a major force in, force, force in your life even right now as you're sitting here. And the people closest to you may not even know that it's a problem. How does God, all right, this is a great question for us today. How does God want us to handle the things in our lives that are just taking too long to resolve? How does God want us to handle that? There are people here right now, I could march them right up here on this platform and they could tell you, this, this looks like it's getting worse before it's getting better. We were praying and talking to God about this for a long time. And every time we think we're getting a little bit ahead and we get far, fall farther behind. The people in Jerusalem were waiting for a solution to Roman tyranny. But what they got was a defeated, crucified, dead and buried Jesus at the end of their waiting. And I have to say, that must have been terribly hard for the people those early believers, it must have been incredibly difficult to handle this desire for a solution and to find such a disappointment. Is there something we can learn from the scriptures to help us when that happens in our own lives? When we've got a major problem, when we're looking for an immediate solution and it seems like God has a different plan for us, And that plan requires us to wait. Now let me just say this point counterpoint for just a moment. I'm spending time on the issue of waiting because that's the theme that we're talking about. But I can assure you from my own personal experience, and I know others would say, yes, that's that's happened to me too. That there are times when God is so quick in his answer to a problem that we have that it make your head spin. I mean so fast it's like it happened almost before you asked him. So there's that side of it, and let's remember that. But for right now, let's talk about the waiting, because the waiting is a place where the devil seems to really lie to us a lot. Trusting, here's just a one-liner for us. Trusting God when it doesn't make sense. Have you ever had that feeling? Trusting God, this doesn't make any sense at all. I don't understand this. How's he up on a cross? He's supposed to be the king, the long-awaited Messiah. I, I don't get that. How am I supposed to trust in him while he's hanging on the tree? How am I supposed to trust in him when I got a tremendous burden and he knows how bad it is? And I look to him for help and, and nothing's happening. How am I supposed to keep trusting God in those moments? There's some people that, <clears throat> that when they first uh, think about giving their lives to faith and belief in Jesus Christ, they come to him sort of like a, Either a, a protector to, to give us a, a free card out of hell deal, or or the other side of it is a big sugar daddy that's always there to to take care of all the stuff we want and need and all that sort of thing. And 
And so here's a question we might ask ourselves when we think about having to wait for something. Do I love Jesus only because he promises me a blessing? Or do I love him even when it seems like trusting him turns out to feel like I've been scammed by a false messiah? I, we have those moments where it's like, I, I don't know if prayer really works. It might have worked for somebody else, but it isn't working for me. And you want me to keep trusting you? How do I do that? So let me give you three truths to consider when you're having to wait. Three quick truths. I'm going to spend a lot of time on them. You can, you can mull them over uh, this week, if you will. But I think they'll be an encouragement to you. Number one, three truths to consider when having to wait. If we live in an I'm always wanting something from God mode, if that's where you are, if that's how you treat Jesus, if that's how you're looking to God, I'm always wanting something from God. We will always be up and down in our relationship with him. Based on his sugar daddy. Whether we got what we wanted or whether we didn't. We didn't get what we wanted. I'm not very close to God. When I get what I want, I'm on the mountaintop and God's good and I'll show up to church. Or I'll, give, I'll put my tithe in or I'll do this or that. No, no. It, see, if you approach God just from the standpoint of what he can do for us, then we're always going to have an up and down kind of an experience with him. When waiting seems all wrong, the right thing to do is keep waiting. Did you catch that? That's deeper than you gave me credit for. I didn't hear, amen, pastor, that's exactly right, because that's a hard one. It's, It's a hard one, but... When waiting seems all wrong, the right thing for believers to do is keep waiting. Keep waiting. Truth number two. When we go through scandal, a shock, a surprise, and it didn't go the way that we were waiting in the wrong direction, and it turns out, oh, no, he's on the cross, and this all this all falling through, and whatever... We've got a major problem, something that's significant in our lives, and we're asking God for a miracle, for a touch, and to change things and whatever. When we go through us and, and the waiting feels like a scandal, the waiting makes us feel like Jesus isn't real, the waiting makes us feel like this isn't gonna, ever going to work. When we go through scandal, here's the truth, number two, and we don't turn away, when we go through that feeling, that those lies from the enemy, and we don't turn away from God, because some people do, Some people do. They turn away from God all the time. God honors that kind of love. That's the truth. When we go through those moments when when the devil sends a temptation our way to say, I don't know if this is really real or not, or God doesn't, you know, God's forgot about where I am, or I must have done something really naughty because he's, he's, he's punishing me, or uh, he's not, he doesn't hear my prayers, I don't know why other people get answers, I don't seem to get answers to my prayers, you go down that whole road. When we go through scandal and we still don't turn away, God honors that kind of love. Because scandal means a situation that is filled with disillusionment. Scandal is disillusioning. I, 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 I listen to, it does not matter what your politics are, but we've got something called the Mueller investigation going on. 
we haven't heard his report, but everybody, I mean, we're, we're, we can't, every day they dribble it out, a little bit here, a little bit there. Who knows what the truth is? Who knows if there's scandal in there or if there's no scandal or something all in between? So scandal means that life can be filled with disillusionment that comes from the enemy. If in disillusionment, listen, this is hard, but it's, it's good. If in disillusionment we determine to stay the course and we determine to trust God, that is the kind of love that God rewards with an eternal membership in his kingdom. That's the kind of love that he rewards. Third truth. The real truth is that when we are feeling like we're, we're disillusioned and we're feeling like it's more scandal and it's not answer. When we are feeling like we have been abandoned by God, listen to this. The real truth is that we only feel abandoned in times like that. It is not true abandonment. It feels like abandonment, but it's not true abandonment. Say, so what do you mean by that? Because the people who have met Jesus Christ intimately as Savior and have studied His Word, like we're trying to study it this morning a little bit here, and have gone deeper into the things of God and understood His character and His truths to live by, people who have met Jesus, who truly know Him, who have, who have had their sin uh, imputed into His life, and upon doing that, His righteousness is imputed back to us so that when God sees us, He doesn't see our sin anymore because the righteousness of Jesus is what what God sees and then we're good with God. The people who have experienced that know that He promised, they know it, you know it, that He promised to never leave us. Don't we know that? Matthew 28. Now, I'm going to read this to you from a literal Greek translation here. It doesn't flow smoothly, but it is a Greek scholar giving us just the literal meaning of the words and trying to put it in a paragraph. Listen to this, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus, excuse me, and Jesus, having come, spoke to them, saying, There was given to me all authority in heaven and upon earth. Having gone on your way, therefore, teach all the nations, making them your pupils, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to be attending to carefully, holding firmly to, and observing all whatever things I enjoined or taught you, And behold, as for myself, Jesus says, as for myself, with you I am all the days until the consummation of the age, until this world is finished. Did you catch that? As for myself, with you I am. And we're talking about abandonment? We know what he said. You know, the psalmist said it. We memorized it when we were little kids. Psalm 23, verse 4, though. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's 
finding scandal instead of solutions on stuff that's troubling us. Even though I may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's a myriad. I, I, I looked at one, one uh, place on the internet that had like 90-some promises in God's word that he would never leave us and never forsake us. So if you really know Jesus, if you really have experienced him in your life and have put your faith and trust in him, and, and, and he, has, he has covered the sin and the Holy Spirit has been brought into our lives then you know the truth of what God's Word says, and I'm reaffirming it to you this morning. And if you don't know Christ, I'm telling you this is how it works. If you come to Christ, if you will come to Christ and put your faith in Him, that He will never abandon you, even though it looks like a scandal. It's only the feeling of abandonment. It is not true abandonment. Otherwise, this teaching is a lie. He said, I will never leave you. It only feels like he did. Amen? In reality, it was my sin for which he was abandoned. Only Jesus, only Jesus has experienced true abandonment. You and I haven't. He experienced true abandonment by his Father when every sin in this world was placed upon a sinless Son of God. And God let him die. That's abandonment. Only Jesus knows true abandonment. For us, it's just the feeling the devil plays upon. And it doesn't have to last a lifetime. And even if it does, it'll still be okay because there's another kingdom coming. Amen? And all that stuff goes away. In our despair from time to time in life, it's helpful for us to remember that the enemy is, can I say this, just, uh, I've got two minutes here left, to make sure you catch this. The enemy is constantly lying to us while we are waiting for the Lord's help. Have you ever, have you ever sensed that? The whole time you're waiting, and it's a long time, waiting for somebody that you love to, get, to, to give their heart to Christ, and you pray for them all the time. Or waiting for you know, some major thing that is a good thing, and you're still having to wait. For some healing in a relationship, or anything along that line. And, and we'd love to have it right now. It's not happening right now. And while we are waiting, that is when the enemy lies to us. Only Jesus was truly abandoned. God has not abandoned us. And he is there even in the darkest places so that in our faithfulness to him, we become, when we're faithful to keep trusting when we feel abandoned, but we don't quit and we keep trusting, then we become, listen, we become like Jesus was. What was Jesus like? Well, he was a light in a dark place for the world to see. I assume, I assume the Holy Spirit told Mark to put that song up there on the, and we sang about it. A light in the world. Do you remember? We sang it. We sang it. So when we're feeling abandoned and it seems like God is far away and, and, and it's, and it, and it's not a solution, but it's a scandal. And the devil comes and says, see, I told you, you're, you're, stu- you're stupid. 
to put your faith and trust in that. And we don't take our faith away from Christ. We become a light in a dark place for the world to see. Because there's usually somebody watching us go through that trial. Somebody's watching us. Somebody's watching you. People are watching you. I tell you that the, 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 day, the day that our 14-year-old son went to heaven back in Iowa, my whole congregation and the whole city that had any awareness of me, my family, and our church, and it was a large church, were watching every move we made, how we handled that. So we can either become a light in a dark place like Jesus was. As a matter of fact, John 1.1, 1, 1, listen to what he says here. In the beginning was the Word. That's another word for Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, Jesus. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Jesus was life. And the life was what? The light of men. Light for us. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light. John the Baptist was not the light. But he came to testify about the light. That light was Jesus. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Now how do we do this? How how do we do this? Here's a perfect example of somebody that we have watched ourselves from a distance in the news. You got a picture of Pastor Davy and Amanda Blackburn. You remember that story in Indianapolis? A guy who thinks he left the door open, unlocked, and some somebody came in and murdered the love of his life. He's a pastor. Not far away from an hour and a half away from us. What is he supposed to do when he gets in that place? What is he supposed to do when it feels like God abandoned him? What is he supposed to do? There was a psalmist who wrote about this in Psalm 88, and I close with this scripture. Psalm 88, verses 14 to 18. But I, O Lord, have cried out to you for help. Have you done this before? Have you you had to cry out to God for help, and one that you've had to have been waiting for, and the devil told you you've been abandoned? But God, you know the truth is God says, I'll never abandon you if you really have me. I've cried out to you for help, the psalmist said, and in the morning... My prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I was afflicted and about to die from my youth on. In other words, this has been going on a long time, God. I suffer your terrors. I'm overcome. Your burning anger has passed over me. Now, I wish we had time to unpack this. There's a whole bunch of lies in there. A whole bunch of lies from the enemy there. Things that he's got in his mind. Your terrors have destroyed me. They have surrounded me like water all day long. They have encompassed me altogether. And listen to this verse 18, last verse. You have removed lover and friend far from me. Davy Blackburn says, you have removed even my lover far from me. You can't get any farther away than death. You have removed my lover. You have removed my friend. You have removed the things that I, I, I uh, love and that, uh, that mean everything in the world to me. You have removed these things far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. 
They are, they are, it's like they are dead. I don't have any friends anymore. And the people I love, and I don't have a wife anymore, and I have a husband anymore, and I, I don't, I don't, and I don't have any friends, and I don't have a future, and I don't, I don't have any finances anymore, and I, I, I don't have anything that I feel like I need right now. And I am in darkness, and that word darkness there means a dark place. How many can just, and this won't, this won't, this won't embarrass anybody, how many could by a show of an upraised hand just say, I, I believe I've been in a dark place like he's talking about before in my life. It's been dark. It was dark. See, this is real. So I want to close with a prayer. I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. Shut everything out for just a moment. Because I've done just kind of a running, a running commentary on the subject of solutions versus the sense the devil gives us that it's a scandal and it's broken and it's never going to work right. Here's a prayer that I would encourage you to make portions, if not all of it, a prayer for you this morning. Dear God, I want to be in the kingdom you will set up when you come again. I want to be in that kingdom. Can you say that to God and mean it? God, I'm already a part of your kingdom right now because you're already in my life. So I want to be that kind of a light to a dark world. God, I'm thankful to know you as the one who suffered to cover my sins. I'm thankful to know you as a suffering servant. Jesus, I know your followers are marked by Satan for lies and discouragement. Keep me sharp about that. Don't let me be snookered and scammed by a liar. Lord Jesus, I I want to trust you all the more, even when the enemy lies to me in hard places. Please hear my heart, God. I do want to trust you even more than usual when the enemy's lying to me when I'm looking at scandal instead of solution. And lastly, in my heart, I know this to be true, so help me to keep believing in it and actualizing it in my life. I believe you will never, never leave me. So help my unbelief when I get low. I believe you will never leave me. Help my unbelief when I get low. So, Father, as we uh, have studied some of these thoughts, and I I don't know if I said it clearly or if I said it right. I I hope that I did. I ask you for help. You can interpret it uh, better um, yourself than what I could try to explain it. Just speak to the hearts of your people. There could be someone, and no doubt there are some ones, who have never looked to Jesus as their Savior. And they need to cry out to you and say, Jesus, I, I, don't, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to miss the kingdom. But I don't want to, I don't want to turn my heart to you just as a sugar daddy. I, 
I really want to be able to believe in you. A belief that would hold me and sustain me even when things aren't going just the way I would like. And I, I do want to be saved. I do want you to be my savior. I do want you to come into my heart and my life. I do need your help. I do need your forgiveness. I do want to give you my life today. Please hear my cry today and come into my life and save me. And Father, for all of us who are constantly being lied to by the enemy, give us a shrewdness. Give us a a tremendous sensitivity and a Holy Spirit discernment so that we can recognize these things in our lives or that we can be an encouragement to someone else who has been buffaloed and who's been bullied by the enemy and who's been uh, in walking in disillusionment and help us to give them truth from your word, not just our ideas, but truth that's rooted in your word of truth so that it can come into their hearts and their minds and their lives and set them free. We're so thankful that there were believers in the early days who were disillusioned when they saw Jesus on the cross and they saw him dead and buried. But they didn't quit. They were disillusioned, but they didn't quit. And when when you showed yourself to them, I, it's hard for us to imagine how they must have rejoiced to say, Oh, he's alive. This is real. I will never turn my back on Jesus. No matter how hard life gets, no matter how long I have to wait for an answer, I will never give in to the devil's lies. So encourage us this day. May this be be a a Sunday of great encouragement and affirming that you are a God who stays with us forever, that you love us that much. Thanks for encouraging our hearts. And uh, we, we praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen. So would you stand with me? I want to have a little closing word with you. I want to say to you, if you prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart today, we would love for you to speak with one of our pastors or one of our, just anybody, just say, I, I need help getting started. We have people coming into uh, into to a relationship with Christ at different times of different seasons. And we have we have ways to be able to sit down with you with scriptures and give you truths that will be an encouragement and a blessing to you as you're learning uh, to grow deep in the things of God. Your love today. Heavenly Father, protect us as we go out. And we pray that you would give us your favor, give us opportunities to serve you better, and hold us strong, Lord, when we're going through the disillusioned times of life, because you love us and we're committed to you. And all God's people said together, amen. Praise the Lord. Shake hands and don't forget to do it with a smile.